Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to see each one of you all here this morning. I don't know how it was for you, but last Sunday was such an incredible encouragement for me. And I want to thank you to the class. Your testimonies were very encouraging. Parents' testimonies were encouraging. Um, I don't know. I was, I, was, I was really encouraged in my, my personal walk with God and also just with a new, given a new zeal to, to build his kingdom, build his church. And, and Manny's message last Sunday, um, very unintentional Manny, but was, was a, honestly a perfect setup for today. And I appreciate that message. Today, th- this message is, is very applicable, applicable to, it's a very practical message. And it's very practical for, for those of you who are newly baptized. But it's also very important and applicable for all of us. Um, the title of my message this morning is Finding and Filling Your Place in the Body of Christ. Finding and Filling Your Place in the Body of Christ. And so each of us come to this place, or have hopefully come to this place, where we put our faith in God. We've become what we call, we've become a Christian. We've been freed. We've experienced freedom. We've experienced baptism. And if I understand Especially in the New Testament, you see that you are then, at that point, you are part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ, or what we call the church. Um, The New Testament, the the word used in the New Testament for church is ecclesia, and it's, it's not just an organization, it's actually a body. And again and again, you see that language used in the New Testament, a body. It's a living organism. And you see in Ephesians 5.23 that the head of this body is Christ. It's really interesting imagery if you think about it as, as a body and Jesus being our head. As each one of us become a part, and, and specifically today I'm talking about the local body, but, but this is also applicable to, to the larger body of Christ. Each one of us become part of, of the church. There's a rule that there's a role. You each, we each need to kind of find our role and our place in this body. And that role can grow and change and for various reasons as you mature. Um, and and men, actually, I'll just read this. Manny, there's a quote that Manny read last week, and I'm just going to read it. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to create, deepen, and extend the fellowship of the church. I'm going to read that again. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to create, deepen, and extend the fellowship of the church. One practical way that is done is through spiritual gifts, and we're going to look at that a little bit today. That's one very practical way that the Holy Spirit works through us to create, deepen, and extend the fellowship of the church. So as a part of this body, we've each been given a gift. We've each been given a gift. We call those spiritual gifts. And that purpose, the purpose for that gift, it's very important. The purpose for that gift is to deepen, to extend the fellowship of the church, to build it up, as you would say. I'm just going to read. Actually, no, for sake of time, I'm not going to read Romans, more of Romans. But we read the passage, and I'm looking specifically today at verses 3 through 10 there. And so if your Bible is not open to that, open up to that. I found it really interesting as I study this passage again and again that my view on it has kind of shifted and kind of changed a little bit. Um, 
And so we've dug into the first two verses, and now looking at the whole of the chapter, though, though I, I, don't, I don't say what I said earlier was inaccurate, it's maybe a little incomplete, I'll put it that way. In looking at specifically the spiritual gifts, before we get to those, I see Paul giving us four requirements, or you could say four prerequisites to properly exercising our spiritual gifts. So four things leading up to this thing of, hey, you all have spiritual gifts. How's how we use them? And I see four. I picked out four. You could, you could maybe find more. I don't know. Um, and the first one is in verse one there, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the first prerequisite to us properly exercising our gifts in the body of Christ. It's a pretty important one. And it's the idea of a life totally given to God. At that point, we are then available for whatever purpose he has for us. And someone has once said, our greatest ability is our availability. And I think that's true in the case of, of God wanting to use us. The second one, the second prerequisite to properly exercising our spiritual gift is in verse 2 and a transformed or a renewed mind. I think it's unfortunate and often a detriment to others around us when believers practice their spiritual gifts and they don't have a renewed mind. And the opposite of a renewed mind would be a selfish, carnal, or worldly mind. It's very important that we have a renewed mind. And the best way to, have a re or to renew our minds is through continual prayer and reading of God's word. Continual prayer and reading of God's word. Bible study, whatever however you want to call that. 1 Corinthians 3, that chapter is really interesting. Basically, in, in summary, it says the outworking of a carnal mind is envy, strife, and division. And so think of that in relation to practicing our spiritual gifts. With a carnal mind, probably will cause envy, strife, and division. The third prerequisite to properly exercising our spiritual gifts in the body of Christ that I see here is in verse, in verse 3, and that's where we're starting today. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. A correct view or a proper view of yourself is actually really important to properly exercising our spiritual gifts. I think we do well to admit that every man or every woman here has this tendency to, to think more highly of himself or herself than we ought to. And that's, that's because of sin. We have this natural bent towards pride and self-exaltation. And we do well to, to admit that and realize that uh, often, maybe. I, I find myself often. T.S. Eliot once said, most of the trouble in the world is caused by people who want to be important. So true. Think about, about every situation, there's conflict. So, the people who want to be important. Matthew Henry once said, those do not know themselves best who think best of themselves. Now read that again, listen carefully to that. This is actually incredibly important. Those do not know themselves best who think best of themselves. And yet, I don't know how you find it, 
It's very easy to do this. Very easy to think more highly of yourself than you ought. It's so important to have an, a, a correct view of, of who God is, who I am, and, and have that proper view of ourselves so that we can properly fill, find and fill that role in the body. And when and our, our view of God or our view of ourself is out of line, it's, really, it's a much more difficult to find and to fill the role that we've been given here in the body. I, I'm really disappointed. This morning, I, uh, I have this little, it actually looks kind of disturbing, this little foot. It's a plastic foot. And I, I meant to bring it along here and put it up here because it, it makes the illustration quite clear. And I forgot it. But you can just imagine. It's really odd looking. All you see is a foot. And, and think about this a little bit as part of a body. So we're all been given a part of a body. We're, we all been, we're all a part of a body. And if I would set a foot up here, it would look really odd. It just looks really odd. It actually is kind of, it's actually almost kind of creepy. I saw this thing, I'm like, <laughs> it's kind of gross. But yet we all have feet on us. And it's, we don't think of it as that weird because it's part of the body. And so just think about this in, in the sense of church. If, if let's just say you're, you're a foot today, or you're a toe maybe. Maybe all you are is a toe. And you decide that you just cannot stand what your head, Jesus Christ, or what your brothers, your other parts of the body, want you to do. You just can't handle this. You cannot handle this. And so you're going to go off, and you think you can serve Jesus better on your own. We never do this, do we? It looks crazy. It looks incomplete. It looks kind of freaky, actually. All you have is a foot or a member. And so I know this illustration breaks down, but that's, that's what we tend to do. We tend to want to be our own thing. And we think a lot more highly of ourselves as a toe or as a foot than we ought to. I think that's what Paul is warning us here. We tend to think of ourselves as a lot more valuable to God's kingdom by ourselves than we do if we're part of a body. And, and so maybe your job is, is just, as a toe, is, is the only job you have is just to balance the body. That's what our, most of our, our big toe is basically just to keep, give us balance. Now, there's maybe other reasons for it. So maybe that's your rule. It's important that you accept, you realize your value and accept your rule, whatever it is. I'm gonna read, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12 and without a whole lot of comment I'm going to read I'm just going to read this whole chapter actually and just really listen carefully to, to what is being said here I could probably just read this and sit down and if we lived this it would answer, or it would take care of most of the issues. 1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give to you, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gift, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. 
and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh in all, worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh, that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So there's many parts of the body. That's what he's saying. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not the body. It is therefore not of the body. If I hear the, if, if the, sorry. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. It is therefore not of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? It takes, it takes all the parts for a whole body. All right, verse 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And want, whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And I'll just, I'll, we'll stop there. You get the picture of just a whole body. We all have different roles given by God. It's so important that we don't think of ourselves or our rule as more highly than we ought. That's a very, very important part of us finding and filling the role that God wants for us. Not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. The fourth prerequisite to, to properly exercising or finding our role in the body of Christ, exercising our gift or finding our role, is found in, in verses 4 and 5. And I'll just read those. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. I've, I've titled that as willingness to fit in. Willingness to fit into the body. Um, we see we all have these different parts, and for a toe or a finger to say, I, I don't want to be part of that. So willingness to fit in. This is kind of a, I think life in Christ is meant 
to be a corporate endeavor. And so wherever we are around the world, and as we, as we do church, it's meant to be done together. It's not an individual pursuit or experience. And I think if we understand that the church is the bride of Christ, there's a lot of, of scriptures that talk about the church being the bride of Christ and him coming back for this bride. I don't know, every time I read that, I have a bigger and a greater desire to be part of that bride. That's the church. And, and we should become increasingly willing to sacrifice our desire as the toe or as the finger for the good of the church, for the whole. And so just being willing to fit into the body of Christ is an important part of us as we practice our spiritual gifts and as we, as we find our place in the body. God has some really serious warnings actually in scripture for the Christian who isn't willing to fit in, or you could say the Christian who causes division or disunity. And I'm just going to look at one of them. I'm going to turn to Proverbs, Proverbs 6. And there's a few verses in Proverbs 6, 19 to, sorry, 16 to 19. These six, thing doth, six things doth the Lord hate. And listen carefully to these. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth a wicked imaginations, feet that be swift, sorry, swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. It's an abomination to the Lord. It's so important that we're willing to fit in. Um, Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 21 and, I think it's 21 and 22. Let me find that here. Yes, so th this is just an image of, of this body, and, and he uses the, the idea of a building, or the picture of a building here, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye, are also, ye also are builded together for a habitation of God, through the spirit. So we're being fitly framed together. We each play our part in the building for a habitation of God. I don't know if I ever quite looked at that verse in that way. <clears throat> these, are, these are just four po points that are four prerequisites to properly exercising our gifts, our spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Let's go back to Romans 12 here. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth, on teaching, or he that exhorteth, on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that rolleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation. Oh, sorry, I was going to stop at verse 8. I'll, I'll stop right there. What is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? I, 
in, simplistic, in simplistic terms, you could just say it's something God or the Holy Spirit gives to us. That's, that's maybe simplistic terms. There was a definition I found that, that I looked at for quite a while, and, and I think, I think it's, it's, it's pretty whole and pretty accurate here, and I'm just going to read it. A spiritual gift is a special divine empowerment bestowed on each believer by the Holy Spirit to accomplish a given ministry God's way according to his grace and discernment to be used within the context of the body of Christ. I'll read that again, just, just so in case anyone's following along there. A spiritual gift is a special divine empowerment bestowed on each believer by the Holy Spirit to accomplish a given ministry God's way according to his grace and discernment to be used within the context of the body of Christ. So there's three, there's three places in, in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. Um, you see it here in Romans 12. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12 as well, there's actually two sections in that chapter that talk about spiritual gifts. And also in Ephesians 4. And there's quite a list of, of spiritual gifts. Uh, let me just read the list that I compiled. I might be missing some, but I think I have most of them. Um, and, and maybe this list is not complete, I don't know, but this is what we see mentioned in the Bible called spiritual gifts. Gift of administration, the gift of apostleship, gift of discernment, gift of evangelism, gift of exhortation, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of interpretation, the gift of giving, the gift of knowledge, gift of leadership, the gift of mercy, gift of miracles, gift of pastor, or you could use shepherd, the gift of prophecy, the gift of service. In this passage, it's called ministry. The gift of teaching, the gift of tongues, and the gift of wisdom. I think it's like 19 or 20 there. And this is gifts. This is places in the Bible, the gifts mentioned in the Bible. For the sake of time this morning, I just want to look briefly at the seven mentioned in this passage. Um, it would have been interesting to really dig into all of them, and that's beyond, beyond this morning. Um, so these are all, there's, there's seven here mentioned in this portion. They're all very different, and they all have a unique function in the body as a, as a church working together, or, as the, or even as a greater body of Christ. So the first one mentioned here is the gift of prophecy. And it's, I found this really interesting. This is a gift that we're supposed to desire. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, we're supposed to desire this gift. I'll read this in the ESV. <clears throat> Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Interesting. The Greek word for the gift of prophecy is is. Oh, prof, prophetia, I think as I'm saying it right. And, and I'll just give the definition of, for that Greek word. is the ability to receive a, a divinely inspired message and deliver it to others in the church. These messages can take the form of exhortation, correction, disclosure of secret sins, prediction of future events, comfort, inspiration, and other revelations given to equip and edify the body of Christ. And there's more that's talked about that in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, I do want to clarify, though, this is, when, 
this gift of prophecy, at least I believe, is very different than the prophesying of the, of the prophets in the Old Testament. That was viewed as, and was written down as scripture today. And so I do not believe prophesying today becomes scripture. And I think that's pretty important, pretty clear to understand. Um, I think it should be tested against scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21, I'm not going to read that, but it implies that we should not despise prophesying, but we should prove or we should test it. Um, I think that's pretty important that we test prophecy against scripture. And, and a, another warning with prophecy, in the Old Testament, God came down very, very harshly on false prophets. In fact, I think they were commanded to kill them. Um, and so, you know, what that looks like, I don't know. Today, there's a strong emphasis on prophecy. And I don't know what to always do with it. But it is something we should desire, but it should something that should always line up with scripture. Another definition I've heard about prophecy, and I really like this one, one that has the gift of foretelling the truth. And I think that's a really accurate description of what I would describe as prophecy. One that has the gift of foretelling the truth. An interesting, there's an interesting phrase here, right after the, the, it talks about prophecy. It says, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And, and this is kind of an interesting pet phrase. And if I'm wrong on this, someone correct me afterwards or maybe it, but I dug into that, that phrasing a little bit. And, and I think I, I, let me just paraphrase what I understand it to say. I think we could say, um, let me just read that verse. Having then gifts give, differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the word of God. The, the, the idea of, of faith, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, you could also clarify as the faith. And often Paul talks about the faith. He is referring to teachings of Jesus, or teaching, sometimes I think he, of the apostles as well, he includes that. And that's what the word of God is. Um, and so that's where I, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Prophesying according to the word of God. All right, we'll move on to the gift of ministry. The Greek word indicates here it's serving. You could, uh, and I think other passages would, would talk about serving. The gift of serving. One who delights in meeting the needs of others, whether physical or spiritual, through serving. What a blessing these people are, right? Ugh. <laughs> uh. We see people with this gift in passages like Acts 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 talks about, uh, I think it's Stephanus. They were addicted to the ministry or addicted to the serving of the saints. And there's other places in the scripture where it talks about people with this gift. They're committed through their service to spreading the gospel. The gift of ministry. And, and some other things that, that I think are very applicable to this gift. They serve in ways that benefit others with the different gifts and ministries that are more public. And so there's a tendency for people with this gift to, to not be okay with, with the background serving and, and promoting the work of, that other people have, other gifts. 
uh, I have another, I maybe kind of covered this already. They are content with serving in the background, knowing that their contribution will bless the church, display the love of Christ to the world, and bring glory to God. That's the gift of ministry. The next gift that is mentioned there is the gift of teaching. One who is motivated to teach the word of God in an effective way. And such a person can often bring a lot of clarity to difficult subjects. These people tend, tend to be detailed and exact. There's a warning with this, with this spiritual gift. Um, it carries a heavy responsibility in the church. In fact, James 3.1 warns, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for ye know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a real seriousness with those who have the gift of teaching. Those with the spiritual gift of teaching tend to love to study the Word of God for maybe even extended periods of time, consuming Scripture as food for their hearts and souls and minds with the purpose of knowing Him and then making Him known. And take great, they tend to take great joy and satisfaction in seeing others learn and hopefully apply the truth of God to their lives. That's the gift of teaching. These are all, as I'm going through this, think about this. These are all gifts among us. These are all, we all, we, we, we all have a gift of the Spirit. The next gift it mentioned is exhortation. Exhortation. This person will steer others to act on the truth in God's word. They're often viewed as an encourager. Well, you see Barnabas, Barnabas had the gift of exhortation. The Spirit of God gives this gift to teach others in the church to strengthen and encourage those who are wavering or struggling in their faith. Those, those with this gift often can uplift and motivate others as well as challenge um, and, and, and are, can be good at rebuking others in order to foster spiritual growth. Gift of exhortation. This is a much needed gift and we tend to just view it as, as someone that encourages. Um, gift of giving is the next one mentioned in this list here. You see this person motivated by the desire to meet other people's needs. There's a lot of needs and there's a desire to give to those needs. I think the Holy Spirit imparts this gift to some in the church to meet the needs in the church. Ministries, missionaries, or, or other people who do not have the means to provide for themselves. The gift of giving. They're typically, typically these people are very hospitable and seek out ways and opportunities to help others. And, and I've seen this often. They tend to often be excellent stewards of what God's given them, 
and will often adjust their lifestyles in order to give more so the gospel can be spread and, and also care for the needy. <clears throat> Next one on this list is ruling. And you could also, I think in other passages, it's the term given is administration. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders paints a picture that's really interesting and I think is accurate. It's a picture of someone steering a ship through treacherous waters, through rocks and shoals, into a safe harbor. That's the role of leadership, or someone that rules. Leadership and administrative roles tend to come easy for someone who has this gift. And, and again, these are, these are tendencies. Um, it's often easy to look at these and say, well, that's not my tendency. That must not be my gift. But these are tendencies for someone with the ruling or administrative gift. With this gift, the Holy Spirit enables certain Christians to organize, direct, and implement plans to lead others in all the various ministries that the church is involved in. The gift of ruling. The next one is the gift of, of mercy. The Holy Spirit gives gives us the gift of mercy, or gives some in the church the gift of mercy to assist and love those who are suffering and, and walk with them until the Lord allows their burden to be lifted. And that's, that's an important part of those with the gift of mercy. And often those that have the gift of mercy fully or really understand God's mercy towards us and they tend to, to experience that. They understand that the, maybe in a way that some of us don't, the, the mercy towards us as sinners um, and just the compassion that we've experienced and they want to give that to others. That's the gift of mercy. Those with this gift are often able to, to weep well with those who weep. Like it says, I think actually later on in Romans 12, it talks about weeping with those who weep. Um, Galatians, it talks about bearing each other's burdens. People with the gift of mercy have a, are really good at this. They're sensitive to the feelings and circumstances of, another, of others and quickly can discern when someone is not doing well. Tend to, tend to be good listeners and to feel the need to simply be there for others. And that's the gift of mercy. <clears throat> So each of, these, each of these spiritual gifts mentioned in this passage are unique, and they have a specific role in the church. And, and I personally have seen these roles played out by many of you all. They're all given by the Holy Spirit. And, and so I don't know, I, always I don't always know how this works, whether these are, whether these are natural abilities and sometimes I think God uses our natural abilities. But I think these are gifts given when we become indwelled in the, with, by the Holy Spirit. And so I challenge you, sometimes we tend to think, well, that's not my natural ability. You might have that gifting, though, from the Spirit. And consider that. Attitude and motive are very important when exercising spiritual gifts. And we talked a little bit about that earlier on. There's an interesting phrasing, you, or words used... Um, 
Verse 8. <clears throat> he that exhorteth on exhortation. Uh, no, wait. Oh, yes, sorry, with the gift of giving. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that rolleth, with diligence. He that showeth mercy, with cheerfulness. There's three things given there. Simplicity, diligence, and cheerfulness. And they're given with specific gifts. But as I was thinking about this, I think we do well to practice these, or to practice our gifts, all of them, with these three things in mind. With simplicity, with diligence, and with cheerfulness. How does one come to know what one's spiritual gift is? This is something I've had discussions with about with people oh, for a long time. And for a while there was these tests, you know, you could, maybe there still is, there's tests you could take that would show you your spiritual gift. And, and I have found it, personally, I have found it, it, it can be valuable to know the gift God has given you. It actually can be valuable, and so don't hear me knocking that. <clears throat> it, it can actually be really satisfying to really pour your life and your energy into building the church using that gift. Because that, that was the role that God specifically has given to fill in the church. And so it can be really satisfying using that gift to just build the church of God. So, so how is a good way to find out what your gift is? I think one way, and, and I, I think most of us could ask the brothers and sisters in church, and they would probably know. They would probably know. And so that's a, that's a really simple way, is maybe ask the person beside you after church, what is my gift? It can, it can be a, sound funny. Um, but often, as brothers and sisters in church, it's easier to see other people's gifts than it is to see what God has given me. But there's also something else that <clears throat> I think is really important. It's mentioned here at, uh, with teaching. Oh, no, sorry, in verse 7, it's talking about ministry. Let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. It's the, the word waiting. And... I'm not always sure how to explain this, but if the, the, the phrasing, especially in the Greek, has the idea of if one has opportunity to, he should. And so, and I think you can apply this to all the gifts, not just teaching or ministering. Or wait, it's, yeah, ministry or teaching. This idea that if you have the opportunity to in church, you should. Correct me if I'm taking that completely wrong, but, but I, think, I think that's a really important way of viewing our part of the body and learning to, to practice our spiritual gifts. As we serve in the opportunities given us, I think our spiritual gifts will become aware, hopefully eventually to us, or to people, they'll be, for sure become aware to people around us. And so I, I would really challenge us through just continual service as we have opportunity to. Be careful with this idea that that is not my gift, and so I'm not going to. I don't think that's, that's the idea here. As you have opportunity to serve in the church, do. And I think as you do that, you'll, you'll become more aware of what motivates you. What motivates you as you serve the church.
There's another caution I want us to, to think about in using our spiritual gifts. If more people would just see the things, see things the way I do, or maybe serve in the way I did, maybe then we'd be more unified, or maybe then we'd be more effective as a church. That's a natural tendency, and yet it's not healthy. It's not a healthy view. Maybe God has given your brother or your sister a specific gift to balance you. And so again, just thinking about the body, this example of the body and how it functions. Do you know, oh, this is actually, you could use any joint in your body, but there is a lot of muscles that balance every joint. They pull against, they actually pull against each other. And so specific example of, of the knee, you have the muscles in the front, the quadriceps, and the muscles in the back, the hamstrings. And I, I know this, all this stuff because I had a, actually had a pretty severe knee injury when I was 18. If your muscles are imbalanced, you are likely going to have an injury, especially if you try to run around or do something crazy. You will likely have an injury. And so if, if one of those muscles, and there's a lot of other muscles that, that run up and down your leg, but if there is an imbalance or, or some, one group is not functioning correctly, you will likely have a pretty severe injury. And so thinking about that in the church, sometimes it might just feel like a brother is just pulling against you. But I, maybe, maybe they're just balancing you. And it might even be their spiritual gift given to them by God to create this balance in the body that would otherwise create a lot of pain. Like if everyone was like you, there would actually be a lot of pain. Or I think it talks about in 1 Corinthians, if everyone were an eye, where would be the hearing? That's a, that's a painful situation in a church if no one hears each other. Um, and so we've been, we've been given gifts to balance each other. And so just, just be aware of that. You know, I, I could pick uh, Brother Ben, he's, he's different in some ways than me, and probably for a good reason, because I need a certain balancing. You know, and so... And that, that could be for anybody. Maybe, maybe we do well to appreciate that and, and value that balance instead of always fight against it and want more people with my gifting or with my view. No, we maybe do well to, to value that. I'm going to read an interesting story here. It's just a short little story. The tools in the carpenter's workshop. There was trouble in the carpenter's workshop, and the tools were having a row. One of them said, it's the hammer's fault. He is much too noisy. Nonsense, the hammer protested. I think it's the saw's fault. He keeps going back and forth all the time. The saw shouted, I'm not to blame. I think it's the plane's fault. His work is so shallow, he does nothing but skim the surface. The plane objected loudly. I think the real trouble lies with, with the screwdriver. He's always just going round in circles. That's ridiculous, the screwdriver said. The whole trouble began with the ruler, because he's always measuring other people by his own standards. The ruler was furious. Then what about the sandpaper? Surely, he is always rubbing people the wrong way. I think you should blame the drill, because he is so boring. Just as the drill was about to protest, the carpenter himself came in, Excuse me. began to work, and using each one of these tools, he built a beautiful pulpit 
from which the gospel of peace was preached to thousands of people. That's the beauty of, of differences and, and working within the church. <clears throat> I think the, the, the Holy Spirit has given us different gifts in this church here. And, and if, if practiced together, like if, if it was just my gift in the church, it, it wouldn't be really that great. But if, if practiced together, becomes something beautiful that by ourselves is not possible. Absolutely not possible. In closing, I'd like to just read verse 10 yet in here in Romans 12. And I think if we live this, if we practice these, these spiritual gifts and we live this way, like it says in verse 10, while practicing our spiritual gifts, this church will be a beautiful thing. I'm going to read this and then we will kneel for prayer. Verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. With that, let's kneel for prayer.